Welcome to the UK SpacePod 2021 series. During the next few weeks, our host Susie Imber will be chatting with industry experts, covering the five key themes of this year's UK Space Conference. Space to prosper. Space to observe and sustain. Space to protect. Space to live well. Space to inspire and explore. Episode 3, Space to Protect, is sponsored by CGI and D-Orbit. Hello, I'm Susie Imber and welcome to episode three of our podcast series. The topic of this discussion is Space to Protect, Agile and Rapid Capability Development in the Space Domain. And joining me on the panel today are Gina Galasso, Simon Reed, and Kevin Jones. Welcome to all of you. Perhaps we could start with a little introduction from each of you. Excellent. Thank you so much, um, Susie. I'm happy to be here, delighted to participate. My name is Gina Galasso. I'm the Managing Director of the Aerospace Corporation UK. Um, the, the purpose of the Aerospace Corporation UK is a little bit different than uh, normal space companies um, in the UK, is we really are client-side, and we bring a lot of the technology and technical due diligence to a lot of the space capability. The parent company in the U.S. Um, has experience and supports across all the DOD space missions. And so we're bringing that capability and experience to the U.K. Hi, my name is Simon Reed. I'm the CEO of Deorbit in the U.K. Deorbit is a new space transportation company. Uh, we specialize in taking uh, technology into space using new launchers, uh, CubeSats and uh, instruments and so on, but also protection in terms of debris monitoring and removal of, of debris. Hi, Susie. Good morning. And good morning to Gina and Simon as well. Uh, I'm Kev Jones. I, am, uh, I work for CGI uh, UK and Australia. I'm part of the Space Defense and Intelligence Business Unit, and I'm currently the program coherence lead for the UK's National Space Operations Centre Transformation Programme. Great. So welcome to all of you. There are so many aspects of protection we could cover in this conversation, from protecting assets to our approach to tech development. I'm going to open with a really broad question for you. What does space to protect mean to you? Well, I think space, I mean, traditionally has been a, quite a, an industry to do with science or maybe telecommunications. But now, nowadays, space is being used much more for day-to-day -day protection of our environment and, and, and can monitor what's happening every day and, and uh, part of our daily lives. Um, as well as that, I think there's a role for protection in terms of the space assets themselves because they are threatened by debris and radiation uh, and so on. So for me, my perspective, um, I mean, I think it's an interesting play on words, space to protect. What does it actually mean? Um, for me, it's about the ability for the UK uh, and all the stakeholders within it to operate freely, to operate sustainably, safely, and most importantly, securely in, through, and from the space domain. And when I say domain, I mean the three components of domain, the ground, the link, and the actual on-orbit segments. And, and therefore, for the UK to be part of this dynamic you know, rapidly growing sector. It's about the UK being able to exercise its strategic levers of power. So whether that be informational, the economical side of it, uh, the military aspects, uh, or the diplomatic side of it, it's, it's about the UK securing its ways of life. That's through both work and play. So I'll just weigh in here briefly, but I agree with both of them. There certainly is a defense bent and there certainly is 
a civil or economic and prosperity bent. You know, as Simon said, there is so much that we do in our day-to-day lives that depend on space. Most people don't even realize, you know, if we lost some of the space capabilities, then it would really shut down, you know, some of our economies. Um, And then as Kevin points out, you know, from a military perspective, you want to be able to operate freely in space, you know, free, you know, access to space and operate it in space. So um, both very, very good points. Uh, we heard earlier from Kev actually about growth in the sector and how exciting that is. But where do you feel the main opportunities are for growth? And what are the primary challenges to space aspirations in the UK? This is massive. Growth in the sector is huge. Actually, um, I think we are blinkering ourselves if we just think about growth in sector. It's also how it supports growth out of sector. You know, space is truly the high ground. So it supports and enables every other sector that uh, we currently operate within and across. So we need to think about it from that broader perspective. Um, In terms of challenges, I think it's, you know, we can't treat space as a defense uh, environment or a commercial environment or a um, civil environment. It's a combination of all three. So we've got to take a national perspective. We want to play in the global commons and be that safe, secure, sustainable partner uh, in the space game, then it's a national approach that's required. So all the challenges that surround that, you know, there currently is a lack of coherency. There's no true partnership. You know, we're still waiting for a strategy. And even when we get the strategy, as I, as I understand it, there's no implementation plan. There's no long-term investment plan. There's no way of creating the conditions that enable in, inward investment. We need to track that sort of invent, inward investment to encourage the ideation, the innovators of today and tomorrow to take forward what the UK is capable of doing in you know, exporting all the opportunities that currently exist in the domain and external to it. And I can add to what Kev said in terms of the opportunities from the from the capabilities, from from the there's a kind of a, a big revolution going on in the space industry at the moment. It's sort of like a perfect storm of technology and opportunity in terms of um, increased access to space for increased lower cost launches. And new techniques for de- uh, building satellites and data networks, and that in itself is encouraging private investment, and and, and it's really pushing things forward really quickly. And I think the big opportunity comes from exploiting that alongside, not instead of existing more traditional space industries. And you know, UK has got very ambitious uh, goals for growth in the space industry, and allowing how to bring all these forward together um, is, is where I think the big opportunity lies. And UK is a good place to do this. It's always been quite distinct from other countries, especially in Europe, on its more kind of commercial, you know, really sort of zoomed in approach. So I think that's where the opportunities lie. And the challenges to that are really how can the, the, the speed is, is going faster than the, the change of like procurement mechanisms and and the kind of uh, policy decision-making processes and so on that, that Kev mentioned earlier. I think the pace of change is, is faster than the sort of traditional systems can cope with. And I think that's almost holding holding the, the, the new sectors back. So I think this is really interesting because I, I think I'm hearing two different things from you guys. You know, so one of them is, of course, there's, there's many opportunities in space. Uh, and we don't yet see at this point in time what the national space strategy is or the defense space strategy. So we can make some assumptions and even looking historically, um, 
you know, at the strategies or lack thereof. But one of the things that Simon said is the UK is, is commercial. It is a lot more commercial than, say, rest of Europe. And then he's talking about procurements and the government needs to do better job on procurements. But if you're telling me there's a lot of commercial opportunities, what in your mind is the role of government then? So you so I'm, I'm hearing two different things. So I'm, if you could explain that, that would be fantastic. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's a difficult sort of balance, isn't it, between the two? And I think when, especially in the kind of protect role, okay, so we're talking about earth observation or, or, or information that's going to benefit society. So how can you commercialize that? That's always a big challenge. And, and um, by just developing the technology, that's not enough. You have to build the markets, right? And so I think government has a strong role to play here in, in enabling the markets and perhaps in some cases acting as an anchor tenant. And in terms of the, the, the sort of global competitive economy for space, we can actually set the agenda and actually put standards in place and UK being the place where uh, you know, the government is pushing the agenda in terms of data that it's requiring in order to protect society. That's an enable UK uh, companies to build those systems and then market them worldwide commercially. I think it's a great way of coming back to the, the original question, actually, in terms of you know, the opportunities. They are huge. They are too huge. Uh, there is too much out there for the UK to do and focus on if it wants to be good. And you know, it's about creating those conditions and government and civil government uh, and the commercial sector has a role to play in helping to create those conditions to attract that investment. So what does the UK want to be good at? You know, let's focus in, let's zone in on what's the value proposition we want to put on the global stage to become that credible, reliable, safe actor in space where we attract investment, we attract partners, we get access to sensors and data that we don't uh, generate ourselves. I don't think the UK yet fully understands what its unique selling proposition is, and it needs to do that. And that should be that should come from, as I said previously, you know, a partnership, a national partnership perspective where the agency is rebalanced. You know, the government needs to lead in the areas it's responsible for, and so does industry. Um, and we need to do it together as a, a, a national partnership. And I just wanted to pick up on a point uh, Simon mentioned around technology, and absolutely, you know, the technology is accelerating away at an incredible pace. But of course, we need to remind ourselves that technology isn't the only part of the solution. We need to balance, and we need to balance the other two components of any enterprise, and that is looking at the culture, the behavior, the language that an enterprise uses. And when I mean enterprise, I mean the UK in the round. And um, the other component is the operating model that we choose to use and the processes we push to put in place. Because as we find today, I mean, there's you know lots of evidence to suggest, well, lots of evidence that demonstrates you can create as much technology as you want and try and employ it. But if the culture you're trying to employ into isn't ready for it, it's not going to maximize its utilization by any stretch. And I think that's an area that the UK is struggling with right now. So talking about culture, and we've discussed the defence sector and the commercial sector, Gina, does it even make sense to talk about them as separate sectors? And do we do this because they have very different cultures? That's a really interesting question. So I think um, historically they were a lot further apart. 
I think now with some of the changes we see in the UK and with in the civil side, um, there's a space directorate that's been elevated into Bayes, you know, pulled out of the UK Space Agency. And the Ministry of Defense now has the space directorate for about a year and a half now. And I know those two organizations are now working a lot closer together. Um, and, and so I'm, I actually am supporting both of those organizations. And one of the things I see is, you know, really helping them figure out how to leverage each other. You know, there's a lot of synergies to be had there. And, and I see actually a lot of opportunities for the UK to say, okay, so let's look at, say, what the US is doing and, and some of these other nations are doing where they are today and not to replicate that and say, oh, we want one of those, but to say, I see where they've made mistakes. I see where they're going to take a step back in the UK and look at, at space in a strategic way and say, we want to be here, wherever here is, you know, say in 10 to 50 years, because there's so many things going on in space. This is what Kevin had talked about. It's just enormous, the opportunities. So why not look and explore the areas where the UK has niche capabilities and and unique selling points, again, maybe in medicine, you know, and, and space enables a lot in the way of medicine. And maybe it's, you know, artificial intelligence, maybe it's data analytics, to really look at those things and figure out, you know, the space bent, if you will, and leverage what you can out of assets and things that are in space with, you know, partners and allies and not necessarily reinvent the will, but kind of do a leapfrog. You know, that's, you know, one of the things that I see. And I think that is a, a joining of civil and military, even as it goes, you know, outside of Earth's influence. I think what Gina said about that is really Good. And, uh, and there's long parallels between defence, as described there, and traditional space, as opposed to sort of the newer kind of commercial-based space approaches. And there's, and there's a difference in how those systems get developed and specified and procured. And they've you know, traditionally been characterised by really you know, expensive, long-term projects with a, one big goal at the end that takes sort of decades to, to develop. And I think that's where the big uh, the change can can occur in terms of allowing a much more of an agile process where you're learning and changing according to um, what's happening around us, being responsive to the markets, the need, and being more able to pick up on new technologies and new solutions as they come through. Um, otherwise, the systems are obsolete before you know before they come online. I think that's where the excitement and the, the cross-learning can come from, I think. I think you make a really interesting point, though, in terms of agility. And agility isn't just about creating new technology and deploying it, you know, getting it to market fast, faster than anybody else. Um, it's about the whole enterprise. And I keep coming back to this phrase, the enterprise, because it really is a national issue and a national opportunity to aspire to the UK's stated national ambition of securing or increasing its market share. But to do so, the enterprise has to become agile and resilient at the same time. And that's doable. I mean, that's about adaptive capacity of an organization. So just saying that you're going to have an agile procurement agency that's going to deploy capability, technology quicker, you're missing two-thirds of the argument. You know, your whole enterprise needs to be able to sense, to understand, to anticipate what's going on in the market. You want to be shaping the market as opposed to being shaped by it. It's interesting, you know, was it September 2020, Sir General Nick Carter talked about the introduction of a fifth C 
into his framework, you know, and the fifth C was competition. And defense and government talk about a persistently competitive state. We've always been in a persistently competitive state. Yes. What agility uh, and resilience allows us to do is to become adaptive, to introduce that adaptive capacity to become smart in the way we understand, learn, adapt, maneuver, and change. This is not new. It's just that we don't execute it very well. Yeah. Do you think we should compete in a different way? I mean, traditional, back to the traditional thing that, you know, there's a very highly specified system for defense or space, which takes a long time to define the requirements and then you have to compete against that. Maybe there's a different way of competing in terms of just saying you just want to specify the result that you want. Maybe that's a service or it's data that you ultimately want. Like most space systems are in space for collecting data of some kind or moving it around. So why don't we just make the requirements about the data and, and then leave it to the markets to actually figure out the best way of creating it? certainly think treating information as a true strategic asset is something that um, the UK needs to do much better, which it currently struggles with. I think things are changing. I have noticed there's some starting to be some procurements for data from the UK, uh, UK Space Agency and UKRI, for instance, um, uh, we've just been recently responding to one that's asking for uh, radiation data uh, for, from space. And so in order to support research, but also the the, um, the UK Met Office, who have responsibilities for forecasting space weather events. So it's interesting to see things are beginning to change. And that's a, and that's a good thing. So... Again, I think this is a really interesting conversation. And, and one of the things, you know, that you're talking about, Simon, is, you know, doing these more rapid, agile um, acquisitions. And there certainly is a role for that. And certainly in technology development, you know, a, a technology maturation, demonstrations, all of those things, you want to turn those things around pretty quick, again, because technology is changing very quickly. But then to Kevin's point, one of the things that you need to have a little bit longer term view or spend a lot more time up front thinking about it is the enterprise. And so in the UK, as we think about, okay, what, what is this kind of space ecosystem or enterprise that we're trying to create in the UK? There's room for a lot of different things, but I don't think we want to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. I think there needs to be very careful planning and looking at, again, what's the unique selling point? What is the capability we have? What is the technology we have? Where do we think those things are applicable? Where is the whole space industry going? You know, and kind of, you know, so we need both of those things. I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, a, it's a case of understanding where do we want to play? Why do we want to play there? And mapping that to the current capabilities we have as a nation state and together de determining how we're going to move forward and play our global role, if indeed we want to play a global role, which I do believe we want to do in this sector. Because this sector, as I said earlier, is, as the high ground, empowers every other sector that we currently love and know. So one of the topic, you know, this topic is space to protect. And I think one of those areas it is potentially in uh, space traffic management, space surveillance, uh, space situational awareness, whatever we want to call it. Um, and I think that's one of the, the areas I think UK is already trying to establish a leadership role in, both in terms of technology, but also regulation and also um, 
yeah, the international behaviour, um, setting setting good norms for behaviour as well. I sort of struggle when we say that the UK is ahead. I don't think the UK is that far ahead at all. I know we are investing heavily in into the UN, which is the right place to have these this type of conversation in terms of setting out policy or indeed just rules of the road, because arguably there are some policies that were established uh, many years ago, but current rules, are, are they fit for purpose um, now? Arguably not. Are they fit for the purpose for you know the mega constellations that we know are coming? highly unlikely. So establishing rules of the road are important. But other nation states are doing exactly the same and they are investing heavily and they have their strategies already announced. They have implementation plans. They have taken a long-term view, speaking to a point Gina made earlier on. Um, We're behind. You know, from a competitive perspective, we are behind. Yeah, I think in terms of, um, yeah, the the, uh, delivery is reaching the aspiration. I think you're right. We are behind. There are there's a lot that could be done. Um, I think one of the areas that UK has invested in is in the UK launch capabilities, and that's coming through. We're going to see launches from next year, um, ho- hopefully with increasing frequency. But then we also need to join the dots, right? So are these programs that are coming through, are they making use of these new facilities that are being invested in elsewhere? I'm not quite seeing that uh, at the moment either. So I think w- there is a real, there's a real chance for UK to have a comprehensive sort of end-to-end strategy and joining the dots and making sort of internal markets work, as well as an, enabling each of those different services within that to sort of establish themselves and, and play on the global market. I think you just used a really interesting turn of phrase there, which is joining the dots, and it's a phrase that we use quite a lot within CGI when we're talking to various organisations. Because you're right, you know. From a technology perspective, we are building nodes on our network. What what is the common? The common good is information and treating information as a strategic asset, so you can exploit it and utilize it to better understand. You know, when people talk about space surveillance awareness or the military phraseology, space domain awareness, actually, again, that's only part of the equation. We really should be moving beyond that and looking at understanding. So how do we understand what's going on both in the space domain and in, uh, you know, across Earth, across all of the sectors? It's the understanding element. How do we get that through information to build our knowledge base to address environmental issues? That's where the value is. That's how the markets will respond to the, the, the quality of information and knowledge we can provide from space across all those other sectors. So the only thing I was going to say, Kevin, was, I mean, so you're absolutely right. So it, it is the, d- the data um, and Setting up a data enterprise, I guess is what I'll say, you know, in the UK, again, that takes some forethought planning and, you know, it's not necessarily an easy thing, but to have all of these different capabilities plug into that, um, that provide different bits and pieces of information are are incredibly valuable. I did want to um, go back again, and I think Simon, you had said this in regards to, you know, internal UK market, the UK, you know, internal UK market is not going to sustain the space sector. And one of the things I haven't seen, and I could be completely wrong, it's just things that I haven't seen, is I don't see the business case for UK launch. Doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, but I'm thinking, you know, so what's the attractiveness and what's going to bring, you know, um, people into the UK to go ahead and launch? And, And I think there's a misnomer too, saying first to market. A lot of times first to market doesn't succeed, 
right? And the second one that comes in is learned everything from the first to market. So, you know, there's a lot of dynamics going on here. Um, I understand the desire and all of the things going on. And there's been a lot of really good work uh, in that area. But uh, I'm still, I guess, standing on the sidelines watching how this is going to unfold. <laughs> I think that's a really interesting point. You know, I completely agree with you because I think from an international perspective, for us to claim first to market or first to movers, I think we're <laughs> we're confusing ourselves, let alone the rest of the, the market. I, I always come back to um, something that I think it's um, Stephen Waverley talks about when he talks about what or why of purpose. You know, what is our purpose? And before, so once we understand that, then we can understand all the moves that are available to us and choose which series of moves we want to take. So really is launch, what does launch bring in terms of value proposition to the UK? Is it part of creating those conditions that will attract inward investment? Um, it, it may be, but I haven't seen the business case either. I, I agree with you. Well, I think there's a, a wider, um, a big part of the, the change that's occurring at the moment is increased access to space. And we're finding we're a launch sort of service provider, logistics provider. We've had three launches in the in the last nine months, taking a wide variety of customers into space in different uh, stages of their own life cycle. And the fact that you're doing regular launches once every few weeks and you can make a decision just a, 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 you know, a couple of months before you actually get into space and, and you can do it iteratively, that, that's completely changing the way you can do space. And, and that in itself is part of just one of the factors in, in part of this revolution that's happening now, why we're seeing accelerated growth and why we're seeing a lot of money coming into the sector and so on. So if you just look at it in its own, you know, one in its own right, then maybe you, know, you can make your arguments whether it has to be in the UK or, or elsewhere. Maybe it doesn't matter. But there are some logistical factors around sending your stuff over you know the oceans to go and launch from somewhere else um and the fact that you know there is a there is a change there is a change happening and it is part of that resiliency picture in terms of uk as an island and and you know trying that the vision of potentially being able to do everything ourselves you know literally building the stuff in the factories and sending it into space that's quite an attractive proposition and uh, and uh, makes I think it makes sort of it's, it creates a kind of wider narrative that allows people to understand what the space sector is and what we can do. I think you make a good argument, actually. Um, and I guess part of that is the UK is developing the appropriate level of governance to allow you to operate in a dynamic, agile manner. Uh, it's creating market good, which it becomes tradable on the international stage, which is which is good. Yeah. Um, it's it's. Imp- uh, improving our credibility, I guess, our reliability that as a nation state, we can do this and we can do it well. And therefore, we should be looking to attract inward investment to um, con- continue to grow. So, so again, these are really interesting. But the question, I go back to again, Kevin, when you're saying, well, what, what is, I don't want to say what is it we want to be when we grow up, but what's our purpose? Okay, so we can do all of this and they can be kind of demonstrators. We can learn, we can kind of generate our own ecosystem but we're still in a global world and we still want to have, we have ambitions to capturing global markets. So, so although this is good, you guys can't see me, I'm 
inside of the UK. This is good. Um, but, you know, then it's, you know, it's the next step, you know. So so what is that? What do we want to be known for? What do we want to to bring forward? You know, what are the things we think we have value influencing, you know, and head down that path? I, again, I completely agree with you. Gina. And it comes back to, you know, the vision, which I guess should be included in the strategy. And within that, there should be a list of national, and I, you know, I mean this, national strategic objectives that define what we are trying to aspire to be. And once we understand that, then we can map out the benefits and the enablers we need to put in place, launch being an example. And we can also identify the blockers and how we mitigate the blockers. And I, when in terms of blockers, I mean the destroyers of value. Once we do that, we've got a golden thread that then we can come together in a, in a true national partnership and enable those conditions to meet that vision, to meet that strategic intent. But I don't think we've done that thinking, certainly not from a national perspective. We might have done it from defense. We might have done it from a base perspective. Have we done it as a true national partnership where the agency is rebalanced and we take a national view? I'm not sure that's the case at the moment. We talked a lot about um, agile approaches to tech development, and I think everyone's really excited about these approaches, but do there are any barriers for large organizations to adopt such processes for space-based technologies? Do you mean by that in terms of organizational, do you mean government organizations, the pub public sector or the private sector? Because I think you would, I think the private sector would argue that they have adopted agile. I mean, so agile as a Software development process has been around for more than 20 years. It's not new. Um, now, the program I'm currently working on is considered as a trailblazer into defense for utilizing an agile methodology. And there are several. We've chosen one where it is about partnership, it's about um, relentlessly fo focusing on user need and pivoting as and when required, as and when conditions enable us to either mitigate a, a threat or a risk or exploit an opportunity. And, and that program has been working fantastically well. I think it's a matter of choosing, to, being careful in the choices, because it isn't old versus new. It, it's it's adapting to the right, making the most of the right situation. So I think we've had, uh, you know, we're working with Talas Elenia Space, who are a great big organisation, and helping them bring some of their technology on board on our satellites um, in, a, in a more agile way, and that works really well, but it wouldn't work in other contexts. So, uh, yeah, I, I, there's, there's a lot more that can be done in terms of thinking things through, but also focus on the benefits and the risks involved in taking these new approaches. So maybe you can get three or four times as many programs in place for the same budget if you try and do it in an agile way. Maybe if only three out of the four work, you've still got a lot of value out of that. Um, but we have to learn, you know, we have to be adaptive and, and, and support. And I think there's another case for that um, the space sector itself needs to become seen as being more responsive to what's happening in the outside world. Social change, political change, wars, you know, uh, climate change, all these things are happening. And if we set programs in place that are forecast when we make long-term programs, that's just a guess. It's an estimate. So 
we really need to be trying to see how the whole sector can respond to things that are happening around us all the time. And so one of the things I'm, I'm clearly taking advantage of is letting you two guys go first, and then I can comment on both of those. So that's my my evil ploy, not really. But so I think that was really interesting. And I do agree. Well, first of all, big companies can do things agilely. I mean, they have huge resources and a lot of experience. And so there's a lot of things that they can do. But yes, there's also, you know, um, they have stand, I don't want to say necessary standing arms, but they have things in place that also kind of get in the way. But there's room for both, clearly, when you're trying to get technology out the door, when you're just trying to get like the maturation up the TRL level or just test operations or, you know, just run through, as Simon says, educating yourself on the whole process and the development cycle, the launch, the operations, you know, all of those things. But again, it goes back to how does that fit into the larger ecosystem? And that's, I think, where I think the three of us are saying that you know, there needs to be, we still don't know what that is. What does the UK want to do? And we have all of these bits and pieces where there may be missions, if you will, that are more critical and need to be enduring. And, you know, we don't want to have much risk on that. And that's going to go down a certain path. Then there's other things, again, that we're just pushing the envelope, testing, trying, you know, these areas, because these are kind of exciting areas. We're going to see if, you know, if we have what it takes to go in these areas or again, testing, and that's going to, you know, happen a lot differently. But to Simon's point as well, the more options you have, the more resilience you have too. But again, I go back to the different kind of mission and, you know, a civilian mission, military mission. Um, what are those kind of things? We can't just sit back and wait for, you know, UK to decide what it wants to do, right? And I think there's a, you know, there's often a problem when you're building a system for a user, you ask them for their requirements. They don't know what the requirements are yet. I mean, they've got a rough idea, but until they, you start actually building it for them, then they realize what their requirements are. So it's a bit, very, I think there's a, there's a good role for being proactive and pushing the boundaries and saying, yeah, we can do this. And, you know, um, we, we've been working on a in-orbit computing uh, uh, capability that we want to add to part of our sort of physical logistic services to add data to that rather than just wait for um for uk to to know sort of say what it wants to do there is always this problem that um until we've really started users even on a small system don't really know what they want until you've given it to them and then you have to fix it again afterwards so there are there's a role for trying to move things forward quickly so we've got an example we we saw a need for in-orbit computing there's a lot of um, a lot of space architectures are now currently constrained because there's basically no computing power in space so we decided to try and tackle that ourselves but rather than try and go through traditional ways of getting grants and and so on we actually just just went for it and just and threw a computer on our spacecraft which we we launched a couple of uh, months ago and that in itself is generating interest it's not perfect but we're learning along the way and we're learning from ourselves, but also learning from the market, you know, learning from potential customers, how they feel about what we're doing. And uh, I think that that's a kind of idea I think you could scale up, right? We're talking about you could do that with small systems or little, but actually that could apply to the whole sector. That could apply to everything that we do. Because um, when you're, you know, you're forging uh, paths, you know, everyone will follow you. 
I think what Simon's describing is the, the phrase I used earlier on, uh, which is adaptive capacity, and clearly you, you're demonstrating that. Um, and to an earlier point, you, you know, the idea of spending years to require to write and define a set of requirements is obsolescent in a way of working. It's it's gone. Um, so we can have a discussion around waterfall and CADMID and agile and the pros and cons, but waiting for requirements documents is an obsolescent way of doing business. Um, the other thing that needs to change is the appetite for and tolerance to risk and agility and resilience in the way an enterprise thinks and behaves allows that. And, and what I do see actually is a couple of beacons of light, certainly from government. The first beacon of light is the recent report the NAO pushed out on citing the challenges in implementing digital change. And arguably, we're talking about data and how you exploit that into information and make it knowledge. Well, that's digital. We're talking about digital enablement, digital change. And they cite, um, I think it's six themes and 15 specific quest, um, issues, lessons identified they refer to them as, as how government can do better, should do better. And I include defense in this, in improving the way they procure capability. And the second beacon of light, I think, is the work that um, Caroline Bouton and her team from Finmil Cap, so excuse the acronym, but um, Finance Military Capability, are doing in terms of trying to transform the way defence acquires and approves its, its, its approvals programmes, trying to align that to a more digital way of working and moving away from what I consider to be an obsolescent way of conducting business. So I think they're, they're two really positives that uh, I'm, I'm you know, actively tracking. I wonder if any of you have any thoughts on the resilience of the UK space sector. It's about competition, you know, and, and back to Gina's point, what does the UK, the UK could be good at many things in space, you know, from launch to tracking to providing data to in-orbit servicing manufacturer, the list goes on. What do we want to be good at? Uh, and therefore, to be good at, we need to be able to out-compete. I don't think we fully understand that yet. And therefore, we are vulnerable because we don't understand. We, we haven't put any markers, real markers in the ground, something to build around, something to coalesce around. I think that's where we are vulnerable. Resilient space sector. So one of the things I think of is, do you have enough diversity inside the space sector? So if, you know, you're, so again, I say for the UK Space Agency or their MOD, if they're looking at having some kind of capability, how many vendors do you have? Is there competition locally? You know, so I think right there, there's, you know, anyway, that, you know, they need to look a little bit at, at the mix there and, and potentially, again, depending on where we want to go, you know, maybe do some some inward investment. The other thing is I wanted to touch briefly on the requirements but that both of these folks had raised. Uh, I'm not saying everything has to have a requirement, clearly, but there has the, there needs to be rationale, again, on a direction of travel. Um because that's when you start to have some problems. And a lot of times you won't know. I mean, technology usually moves faster than, you know, people knowing what to do with it. So this is a great technology. Okay, so now how do we use it? And that's fine. And that's fantastic. But I, I just worry in the enthusiasm for new technology and the shiny balls and all of these things, we lose sight of a cohesive, you know, strategy and saying, okay, this fits in here. This is how we're going to do this. 
Um, and I can only cite, and this is probably doesn't go over well, but if I look at the past five years or so in the UK, and at least the ambitions and the things that have been announced, you know, a lot of those things haven't necessarily come to fruition yet for, you know, many different reasons. And this is just outside, you know, looking in, but, you know, the Skynet program, a GNSS, and it's, you know, gone through a couple of things, National Space Operations Center. Um, and I know that there's, and, and launch, you know, and there's been bits and pieces of that that have been moving along. I'm not saying that nothing has, but, you know, these are things that were mentioned, you know, a long time ago. And so I, I, I think there needs to be a better government-wide strategy to make sure that these things if they are important, you know, stay the course. Yeah, I think there's, it's got to be there as a platform, absolutely. And, um, but it's getting the right balance, right? So in many countries, it's almost seen as a kind of a, a nas- nationalised, in quotes, industry, if you like. And there's, there's almost a, a sense of um, entitlement in industry because they will get money from the government to do their, their thing. That creates a different kind of culture in, inside the industry. So the industrial policy needs to sort of account for and enable more, um, especially if we want growth. So I don't think it's again the, the one at the expense of the other. It's how to get everything working in sync. This is what I meant by changing the agency of the current relationship because they, it is too skewed. And um, a new way of thinking, a new way of a new language that enables partnership, true partnership to prosper is something that we should be aspiring to. And that's part of creating those conditions I referred to earlier on. And, and Gina, back to your point, of course, it's not just about the technology. And I mentioned, you know, it's about cultural behavior and processes. But we, we can't forget that we need to include in this discussion the insurance sector, the financial services sector. We need to bring the legal profession, you know, they're playing catch up arguably, they're probably counting me on that. But, you know, we need to have a discussion around the ethics of operating in through and from space because it's a global domain. It's not the UK's. I'm not sure we're doing that at the pace that we need to be doing that to remain, to generate and sustain any form of competitive relevance. Well, not preempting the imminent release of the space strategies, what do you think our vision for our national space programme should be? Well, I've got a view on the vision, but I'll probably take too long. I, I do have a, a line which I think might be quite interesting, might be useful, might, might not be useful. And, and actually, it's, it's um, an analogy with, you know, probably the most competitive environment that humankind has ever created, which is the Olympics. And I don't know if you followed the Olympics. I guess most people did over the last few weeks. But they changed their motto. And, and I don't know if you picked up on that. And I thought this was fascinating because I think this not only plays into the space sector, it's absolutely germane to the space sector, but across all industries. And their new motto, it used to be faster, higher, stronger. That remains. It's now faster, higher, stronger, and together. I mean, that is just a beautiful way of describing what we should be aspiring to do as a nation state in a true partnership. If we are going to be truly successful and build that competitive capability, whatever it is, whatever we determine the value proposition to be for the UK and to play a role on the global stage. Maybe more specifically, I mean, we haven't really mentioned that, you know, UK is still a member of the European Space Agency even though we're now not part of the European Union. And I think we never really had a a sort of a a national space strategy before that because it was all largely tied up with ESA. But now we are trying to develop our new strategy, which is becoming more independent. But we have to put that in the context of the wider ESA membership. And 
find the niches and find the uh, areas where they are connecting to our national uh, priorities of you know non-space you know our national priorities overall so where and it is around this um perhaps its independence from the eu in one sense but also the the increasing global stage that we're working on instead um and and i think that's where our national space strategy needs to be uh somehow sort of bridging the gap between that european esa thing and and the sort of and the global sort of commercial thing so one of the things i guess i would like to mention in closing for lack of a better word is is you know, thinking of, of some of the things that Simon, you had said in regards to we're still members of ESA, which is true, but the relationship is different and we are in direct competition, you know, and one of the things that happened is when we joined ESA, one of the things that we let go of is end to end space systems development, because a lot of the stuff in you know, the military side we get from the U.S. and a lot of the stuff then on the civil side you know, so I don't think we want to lose sight of there is direct competition. And if we're going to invest in ESA, it has to be things that directly benefit us in areas maybe that we have gaps or whatever you want to say, that, you know, that, that are kind of interesting. We do need to invest, you know, kind of more into end uh, kind of capabilities, you know, kind of build up that area. Um, one of the things my boss always had told me, this is my parting you know, little two cents is don't ever confuse activities with progress. This has been a fascinating conversation spanning challenges and opportunities for the UK space industry. I'd like to thank again my guests today, Gina Galasso, Simon Reed, and Kevin Jones. This is the third episode of our podcast series, so I encourage you to keep an eye out for the others. Thank you very much. The UK Space Conference 2021 online will be held on the 27th to the 29th of September 2021. Tickets are on sale now, so please go to www.spaceconference.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn with the hashtags UKSpace21 and UKSC21. And this episode was sponsored by CGI and Deorbit. orbit